Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, if you'll grab your Bibles... We are in Ephesians. We're going to start off, uh, or we left off last week at Ephesians 1.18. And as, as we've gone through the beginning of, of Ephesians, uh, uh, Paul is praying for the Ephesians, but we also learn that Paul is praying for us. And Paul said, I am praying for you because I want you to know some things. And not just know some things in your head, but also in your heart. He goes, I, I want to give you some life experience with Jesus that you can rely on. He uses the word epigonosos, which is an experiential knowledge. I want you to get a working knowledge of following things, you know, uh, 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 of these things that I'm going to write to you. And do you remember what some of them were? He says, I want you to get your head around these things. I want you to, to know them, but you can't just understand them by reading a book. It is the Holy Spirit that takes us, that, that comes inside of us and starts to reveal who God is and how he operates in our life, and he starts to unlock it. Have you ever had a, a, a computer program that, you know, all the information is on the disk that you put into the computer, but you've got to have the right code to unlock it? Well, for us... The unlocking of, of who God is, is is the Holy Spirit. We now have the right code once we accept Jesus into our life. You know, sometimes we have to, as we're reading along in the Bible, we have to stop when we don't understand something. Unfortunately, most of us just kind of uh, read on through like it's a race, like we get a prize at the end of the, end of the book if we finish reading it, right? You know, I just got to finish. I was a fast reader as a kid. My mom had to tell me, you're not understanding any of it. You've got you to slow down a little bit. And sometimes we have to slow down and say, you know, Spirit, Jesus, Lord, explain this to me. Help me understand your words and implement them into, into my life. We, gotta get, we have to get to a place in our own lives where we're not spoon-fed. It's great that, you know, it's... You know, what I'm trying to say is it's a nice way of saying that, you know, I'm, I'm going to give you a great buffet of words this morning. And you can go in and you can take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Okay, I listened to the beginning of the sermon. I fell asleep in the middle of it. But at the end, I really got a good nugget. We can take our little pieces and go back and eat and chew on it. However, for you to leave and not to open your Bibles, not to be fed during the week... I mean, how would, you, how would you do good? To, I mean, how would it be in your life if you went, uh, you know, to a buffet this afternoon and you just ate everything but you didn't eat again until next Sunday? How would you feel by next Sunday? Yeah, you'd be dragging in, wouldn't you, if you could make it. Or you'd be like, oh, I was too sick. I couldn't make it to church. Well, that's how we are with the Word of God. 
We, we, we take it in on one day, and unless we get fed throughout the rest of the week, man, we're, we're just starving, and it, puts, you know, it gets us down. It takes some effort, but it is so worth it. Well, in Ephesians 1.18, he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably, I have a hard time saying that word, so if I mess it up, I'm sorry, his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, last week, we, we really, you know, uh, you know, we covered the first two of those uh, really good. And, and you know, and then, then we will dive right into the power this morning that he talks about. But first of all, I want to I kind of review a little bit of the last, two, you know, the last two things that he said that we covered last week. He says, first off, I want you to plug into the hope that I give you. If you can plug into to what you're hoping for, this life would not seem such a big deal. If you could plug in the, that life has ups and downs, that life is just not an even kill, that, that the water is all, not always smooth, if you could plug in that that is just a part of life, then you would be okay. Because this life is as close to hell as you will ever get. And I think sometimes we forget about that. You know, because, I mean, some things that happen in our lives, we're just like, oh, man, I, I feel like I'm going through hell right now. And it's like, this is as close as you will ever get. Perspective is our goal. Seeing the big picture is our goal. Because we get bogged down in the minute little details, don't we? For us to plug into that we have hope in Jesus Christ, that the hassles that we deal with on a, on a daily basis, and if we can say, okay, okay, at least it's only in this life, because I have this hope, I have this, this thing that's inside of me, this, this knowledge inside of me that this isn't it, that there's something beyond this. Ever so often we get a glimpse of heaven on earth, don't we? Ever so often we get a glimpse of, uh, of God's working and, and we sit there and we go, wow. We just sit back and just go, I, 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 wow. I don't know, if you've never experienced that, I'm saying open your eyes to the Lord. Because ever so often he gives us a glimpse. You know, even Paul said, who had, you know, great experience with God. Even he said, you know, seeing into heaven is like, you know, it, it's like I have sunglasses on. Because I have to see through the darkness to get to the spiritual things. But then, man, face to face, I just can't wait for that. And Paul even talks about how, how you know, he hopes for death so he can be with God, but he knows that, that, that life is important because God has a, you know, has a purpose for him. Here's the deal. The Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, wants to give you a feeling of the hope for that. What hope do you, uh, do you have in your life? What hope do you rely on? How about the hope of going to heaven? How about I am forgiven for my sins? How about I'm going to see those who have gone before me, all the saints that, that have passed on, the ones that I love that, that, that are no longer here, they're already there. I get the hope of seeing them. And then Paul goes on, he says, secondly, I wanted you to plug into how wealthy you are and, and I, you know, how rich you are. And we had a lot of fun with this last week. If, if you weren't here, you missed it because we handed out $100 bills to everyone. 
Okay, not really. But we did compare our, our, uh, my wealth and our wealth to the wealth of Bill Gates, which was kind of depressing in one sense, kind of fun in another sense. But the point that we were making is that the richest per- person in America, you know, his wealth is nothing compared to God's. Paul says, forget about that, you know, all that material stuff. I want you to, to get a grip on who your father is and how wealthy your father is. But we're stuck on the material side of things, aren't we? He's saying, get over that. Let money be a tool for you, but don't love it. Don't rush after money. Don't rush after earthly wealth because you can't take it with you. But it might corrupt you. We need to go into how wealthy we are in Christ. We say, well, that still doesn't pay my electric bill. And my response to that is, yes, it does. Yes, it does. You see, how wealthy, we are, you, know, how wealthy you are in Christ, one of the side benefits you know, for us financially is that he starts to provide for us. And in that provision, he even teaches us how to handle money. So therefore, when we know how to handle money, it does pay our electric bill. It's a learning process. One of the problems is we misuse what he gives us because we haven't learned how to handle those things because we haven't read the Bible enough. Or if we have read the Bible enough on the, on the money issues, we haven't implemented those into our life, and we need to. Paul says he wants us to plug into, the, you know, into our hope how wealthy you really are. And I want you to plug into his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that is where we left off last time. Paul says, I want you to get a clue about this exceeding greatness of God's power, about how overwhelming it is. The word incomparably, you know, comes right out of Paul's personality. I mean, you know, God uses, uh, you know, different personalities for, for his good, doesn't he? Paul writes a certain way. Moses writes a certain way. And, you know, and, and all these different guys. Well, Paul is a huge sports fan. And we see it all through his writings. In the Bible, he writes about boxing. If you're a sports fan, you're going, I didn't know boxing was in the Bible. Well, if you understand the background of what Paul's saying, you understand it's there. He writes about running. He writes about punishing your body, in a sense, of working out your body. And by this time, he's an old guy. I mean, he's, he's probably in his couch potato years here. But we get this feeling that he wants to, to see all the games. He, he, he wants, you know, he's the guy going down and going, hey, can I get in? Can, can, okay, you're scalping tickets. I want to get in there. Every time he goes to, to a place, he's always, he was big into sports. Paul says, I want to, you to know his incomparably great power. Incomparably, incomparably great. Those two words together is a word that they used in the Olympics. It is what judges used to, to judge something that was done beyond anything else ever done. It was the record breaker. It was the thing that was like, wow, that's a, that's a world record. That's the word they're using here. The word literally means the line beyond. So Alexander of Ephesus shows up with his javelin. And he just throws it out there and he hits them. You know, he, he, it's the longest throw. It's the longest throw ever thrown that they've ever seen. And they put the line there and they say, okay, incomparably great is beyond that line. The surpassing greatness. The power of God 
is beyond that line. Do you understand what I'm saying here? That's what we're talking about. The world record. The power of God is beyond that. Paul says, I want you to understand the record-breaking magnitude of his power. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, he says here. In verse 20, he says, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. This is the type of power that we're talking about here. That God has the, the amount of power that could raise a human body from the dead after three days. Now, we take this for granted, don't we? I mean, we got TV. You watch all the medical shows, right? Usually at the end of the day, they save the day. I mean, it's just like, you know, 60 minutes with commercials or 40 minutes if you got the DVR and everything's fine. The guy that was going to die, is, he, he's alive and well. You know, after watching these shows, we know more about medicine than they did in the 19th century. Think about that. In the 1800s, I know more about medicine than most of those guys did back then just, just from watching medical shows, you know, just from TV. We've taken for granted that we can resuscitate somebody, Right? Give me the paddles. Clear. And the guy's alive. We take that for granted. Paul is saying this surpasses all of that. CPR is nothing compared to God. I mean, how long can a person be dead before the paddles don't work anymore? How long can a, can a person be dead before CPR doesn't work anymore? Jesus was dead for three days. That was a lot of electricity in those paddles that woke Jesus up, right? Clear, the stone rolls away, the guards are falling down on the ground. That's a lot of power. The power of God bringing life back. And what is really cool about Jesus, he even brought his friend back after three days just to show us what is going to happen with us. That was just his opening act. Do you remember Lazarus? Lazarus was his friend. Remember Mary and Martha, I mean, they, they just loved Jesus. And they, they lived in Bethany, which is, which is over, the, uh, over the Mount of Olives, uh, the hills there. And Jesus was on the Mount of Olives. I mean, he was on this side, and they were over there. And, and Lazarus, they sent word to Jesus that Lazarus is sick. Basically, you need to come, and you need to come now. Here's my orders. Get over here. Well, Jesus didn't come. He still didn't come for three days. So Jesus shows up what? How about late? They're not happy with Jesus. He's always late to our crisis, isn't he? Why, I told you to come a lot sooner than this, Jesus. Doesn't that just bug you about God? Okay, maybe it's just me. I mean, you told God to be on time, right? I told you. You should have been. Three days ago, we could have solved this. But now he's dead. He's three days late to the miracle. What is he doing? He's letting his friend get good and dead. Think about that for a second. I mean, what are friends for? I mean, he is dead dead, not kind of dead. Not, oh, he fainted dead. Not, I think he's in a coma dead. No, they, they spiced him up and wrapped him up in all the cloth and they put him in the tomb. He was dead. They put a rock in front of it. 
The women are out front already welling, you know, they're already in their crying modes. And I don't know if you've ever seen a Middle Eastern funeral where, where the women, they will mourn for a certain period of days and they get out there and they well, and they're already doing that just like they did for Jesus, by the way. So Jesus shows up and what does he do? He does what the, what the shortest verse in the Bible says. He wept. Jesus sat there and he cried for his friend. And of course, Mary yells at him. And Martha yells at him, and he gives them a hug, and then raises his friend from the dead. That is the power that we're talking about here. We're not talking about, oh, God has power. We're talking about the incomparably great power of God. But Paul takes it even further. It's not just the power to raise from the dead, but one that can seat, uh, seat that body in heavenly places. Now, that is power. Later, he will say that that power dwells in us. That same power. But right now, he's just introducing us to Jesus. He says, I want you to get a working knowledge of this power. It's a constructive power. It's a, it's a power that's beyond the line. And then verse 21, it says, it's far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Paul just kind of covers all the bases here, doesn't he? What he's talking about is the evil forces being overcome by Jesus. In the scripture, you will see that Jesus is, is having power over nature. You will see him operate on the, you know, on the lake when he calms the water. He has power over nature. We also know that he has power over sickness. I mean, he raised Lazarus from the dead. We know that he has power over the debate and discussion and intelligence, as you can see that in the conversations that he has with Pilate and Herod. He even had to say, it is finished, before he died on the cross. He had the power over his will. He argued, if you want to use that word, and I think you can, he argued with the Father in the garden. Is there any other way, Father? Okay, okay. There's no other way. Okay, I will do it. He has the power over evil forces. In the Bible, we'll read several times about the principalities and, you know, the powers, the dominions, and the might. And he, what he's talking about is evil forces here. He's talking about fallen angels. And we don't really talk about that much uh, in the church. But he's talking about fallen angels. What he's saying here is that Jesus has the power over all of them. He only refers to these evil things, not to glorify them, but to point out to say, Jesus has authority over these things. Jesus has the power over evil. He has the power over false gods. Now here's the deal. Some idols, they're just stone. Some guy decided, I'm going to make an idol, I'm going to make it represent some god, and he puts an orange in front of it. It's a man-made thing, and, and we don't really need to worry about that. Probably nothing behind it. And as Christians, we need to be careful not to put, the, you know, put a demon behind, everybody, you know, behind every little thing. Oh, I got a head cold, it must be the devil. <laughs> what? Give me a break. So how do you figure out which is demonic forces and what is life? Well, we don't have to. All you need to do is let the name of Jesus clear things up. 
Allowing Jesus in your life protects you from these things. I'm not talking about the cold. You're going to get the cold. But it protects you from evil things. These evil things can bug you, but they cannot destroy you. The name of Jesus is powerful. Say that name out loud with me. Jesus. Now say it like you mean it. Jesus. Now some of us say that word in times that we're not really talking about Jesus. We just use it. But we need to really start using that name more. We need to say it more this week. You need to remind yourself that he's there with you as you move along in this life. Now, some false gods people are worshiping are actually gods with a little g, okay? Don't get me wrong here. And the Bible is very clear about keeping away from those things. Even earthly rulers that said that they were gods, think of, think of the Caesars and Egypt and other, you know, others, they had demons around them convincing them and other people to worship them. It was evilness. What were these demons doing? They were setting up the struggle between an earthly ruler and the almighty God. So what do we do? We say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, invade my life. Jesus, permeate my life. Jesus, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, show me what life is meant to be. Verse 22, he says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now, Paul will later talk about the body of Christ, and, and, and we're really going to get into it then, but it's, you know, it's a really cool word picture that we're going to hit in chapter 4. But here, talks, uh, you know, Paul talks about the, about the fullness of who Jesus is. And the Greek word here is, uh, is plerermo. And what it means is the inflation of, or something like this. He's pouring wine into the, the wineskin. It was empty, and all of a sudden it's inflated. The bottle's full, and he's going, okay, go get me another jug. The fullness of, he fills it. And when we start thinking about God this way, he starts to look bigger, uh, bigger to us. He becomes more important to us when we start to realize he is the one that fills us. We're the empty vessel that he fills the fullness of Christ into us. We're going to go into chapter 2 and just do a few verses here. But the first verse in chapter 2, Paul is going to talk to us about your favorite person. Someone who is very interesting to you. The one you think about the most, and the one that you try to please the most. And he starts out like this, as for you, as for you, the one you think about the most, it's your favorite person, the one you try to please the most, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to, to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cra- cravings of the sinful desire and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Wow, that's, that's a real bummer here, isn't it? 
Paul goes really negative here. But I think it's important for us to stop here for a few minutes. Because, you know, let's talk about the past. Let's talk about our B.C. days. You know, not, not zero B.C., but we're talking about before Christ days. Before we came to, to the knowledge of who Jesus is. And Paul was really good at defining his B.C. days. Paul was a church kid. So he wasn't like, well, I went out and I got drunk. I used to drink. I went out and did this. I went and did that. No, but Paul says this. He didn't do a lot of partying, but he says, let me tell you about the stuff that went on inside my head. That's what Paul talks about. But as Paul got older, he traveled the world and, and he saw some, you know, every disgusting, vile, sinful environment imaginable. Now, I've traveled enough to see some of these things. Not very far from here, once uh, we had a friend in town, uh, my brother was in town, and we had another friend in town, and we decided to go down to, to San Francisco. You know, enjoy the day, enjoy the sights. You know, it was a beautiful day, and, and we took a wrong turn and got caught in some traffic, and, and lo and behold, this parade passed us by, and it was called the Gay Pride Parade. We saw some things that we didn't really want to see. I've also been in countries like Amsterdam and, and took a wrong turn, not on purpose, believe me. It was another leader that was leading us. And we went down through the red light districts. And it was just right there in the windows. The vile, disgusting things. But Paul, he had been in Corinth. He'd been in Ephesus. He'd been in Rome. He had seen it all. Everything that you could imagine today that you could find on the internet, he saw because it was openly practiced. Corruption and immorality. Paul says that we were, we were all in that cesspool. He says that, that we were all dead in our sin. But Paul, I mean, this is the life. I like the party. The world calls party in life. We call that death. Because it doesn't satisfy our soul. You know, it all started in Genesis. God put Adam and Eve in the garden. You can have anything. You can have everything except for that one tree over there. Don't go there. And as soon as God left, what happened? The snake told them, just just eat it. You won't die. So they took a bite and they died. Oh, wait, Pastor Allen. They they lived for a while. They had kids and, and all that. Well, according to Scripture, they died right then and there. And what I'm talking about is there's a difference between spiritual death and bodily death. Yes, their bodies did not die exactly right then. But there was a separation between them and God because of that spiritual death. You see, to God, he sees the past, present, and future all at the same time. So if you're spiritually dead to God, then you are dead to God. You are separated from him. So the rest of your life, you live out your deadness. He says, Paul says here, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And if you've got a Bible, underline those words. The word transgression is the word parathoma. It means a false step or to fall off the path. You're walking around and you take a wrong step. You can use the word trespass there. If you've got another translation, that's another word there. You know, you're out hunting with your buddy and, and you see all these no trespassing signs and you ignore the sign. And you crawl over the fence and you, you go out into the middle of this guy's property and you're out there hunting. And all of a sudden this guy finds you and he starts shooting at you. 
And we're like, we're, we're running around. We're like, God, God, well, you know, where are you? You're supposed to protect me. And the Lord says, I'm back in the truck. I was on the road with you. I was pointing out the no trespass sign. You understood it. I made sure you understood it several times. We passed three of them. Didn't you see it? But you decided, you ignored it. You decided to climb that fence. And now you're trying to find somebody else to blame for your mess. You know, oftentimes we want to blame others for our stupidity, don't we? I mean, let's be honest. That we stayed out in the field ducking the owner who was still hunting us instead of going for safety. And we stay out there and God's like, come back over the fence. I'm right here. Come back. So that's transgression. Now what is sin? The word sin in the Greek is homerthia. And it means to miss the mark. It's another athletic word for Paul. You shoot and you miss the target. Now, when they translated the Greek into Old English in 1611, that was 401 years ago, they used the word of a game that was, that was done down in the local taverns. They used the word sin. Sin didn't mean sin like we understand it. Sin was a game that you played. And this is how they played it. They would put a hoop at the end of a stick, and I would hate to be the guy holding the stick, Okay. But they would put a hoop at the end of the stick and the guy would hold it out and you would shoot arrows at it. And if you made it in there, you won. If you missed it, you missed the mark. And then you had to buy a round of drinks. So this would go on all night and everybody would be drunk. They would be sinners because they missed the mark. That's the word here that we're using. So Paul uses these words so we can understand them. And we translate it into other words that we, you know, English, so we understand it. That we are dead without Christ. That we are off the path without Christ in our life. We're buying rounds in the tavern because of it. Now, Paul writes about this in Romans 3.23 and John, uh, you know, John 1.8. He basically says, we are all sinners for we have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. John says, if you say you have no sin, you're, you're lying. You're a liar. That's so nice of John to talk to us like that, isn't it? If you say you have no sin, you, you're a liar. You're living in denial. But you're also calling God a liar because you're going against his word and if you tell God that is not truth you're calling God a liar <coughs> in verse 2 it says in which you were you were used to uh, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient he is referring to the devil here calls him the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He has a lot of different names throughout the Bible. The word ruler here is the word archon. It means, it means prince. Literally, this means ruler of the atmosphere, the prince of the atmosphere. So there is actually an evil intelligence behind the moral decline of this world. Have you noticed how the world's changing? I mean, ask those that, that uh, lived in California for a long time. 
Not just the gray-haired. We're talking about the gray-haired. Okay, those that have been here. You know what? Yosemite's still Yosemite. Still pretty much looks the same. You know, maybe if you were, maybe they paved the road now. But it still looks the same. You go to the beach, water still flows in and flows out, and there's sand. You know, all that. But I guarantee California is not the same California they grew up in. The moral decline is taking over this world. Paul is saying there's an intelligence behind that decline. And that intelligence is Satan himself. But he also says that we do not need to be afraid of him. Verse 3, it says, all of, us who lived, uh, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful desire and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were on nature's objects of wrath. Have you ever seen an animal just fulfilling its desire? Have you ever seen a lion, maybe one of those, those shows where, where, you know, the lion is eating, what, you know, the gazelle that he caught, you know, one of those nature shows, and all the other lions show up, and they're gratifying their desires, and, and man, if that, that young lion that's like the low lion on the totem pole, you know, if that young lion comes in, man, those older lions are like, you know, and you better back up or I'm going to attack you. That's the cravings of our sinful desire. Jesus says that we are not animals. We can control these cravings, but not by ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit operating within our own life to be able to control these cravings. Now, I love that Paul just doesn't stay right here. Paul goes on. He talks about the evil things, but he goes on. In verse 4, it says, But because of his great love for us, Paul transitions us from sin to the Lord. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show his incomparably riches, incomparably riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That is a great sentence here. Paul got sick of the sin stuff, and he said the name of God and transitioned us out of that sin. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And think back to that word rich. He is rich in mercy. So no matter what you have done in this life, his mercy is waiting for you. I got a question for you. When did God start loving you? Well, if you've been around for a few weeks, you already know that it was before the foundation of the world was set. So that means that God didn't start loving you when you cleaned up your act. You know, isn't that what people do? We clean up our act, and then we decide to go to church. Well, if I can just clean up my act, because if I walked into the building, I mean, the walls would fall down. And unfortunately, we had a, a young lady that visited several weeks ago. And she came in and, and she literally said, I think the walls are going to fall down. And she sat through about a song and a half and she had to leave. It was that fight inside of her, that flesh inside of her, where, where the, the world says, no, 
And God says yes, and that fight was going on, and she had to leave. Unfortunately, she hasn't been back. God didn't start loving you when you started behaving. When my son acts up, I don't stop loving him. I get irritated by him, but I don't stop loving him. Our God loved you before any of that, and it continues to this day. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raises us up with Christ. Remember the power that we talked about of raising Christ? And seated us with, the he- with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. He's saying that God could love you. He could love anybody. This is why, you know, Paul is so humble. This is why Paul, you know, he got a clue about his past. He knew that he didn't earn his way into heaven. See, bad religion will teach you something. It will teach you to clean up your act and then go to church. If you can just get your act cleaned up enough, and then you won't stick out when you enter into that building, when you, when you walk through those doors, then God will love you. Then he will save you. But you've got to be really sorry first. And then you ought to do a whole bunch of stuff to serve him, and then he will love you. See, the good news is there's nothing that you can do to earn God's love. Nothing. It's a free gift. It is by faith. Now, we will also teach at the same time, our serving the Lord is not to get his love, but it's a response to his love. That's why we serve, because we're responding to him. Verse 8, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from ourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. God doesn't want anyone boasting. God doesn't want anyone talking about how spiritual they are. Because we are so lucky that God loves us. And this is where we're going to pick up next week, right at verse 10. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if you're sitting there thinking, where do I fit in? God has already got a place for you to fit in. He's already prepared it in advance for you to do. And that's the response that, we, that he gets out of loving us. But the good news is, there's nothing that we can do to earn God's grace. There's nothing that we can do to earn God's love. So we can stop with the earning part. And if we just accept the fact that it's a free gift and all we've got to do is take it and open it, wow, wow. Let's pray. Lord, your free gift is just so huge. It's something that, that is hard to imagine. It's something hard to even grasp, grasp on, Lord. You love us so much. And so, you know, ever so often we get a glimpse of how much you love us. And I pray that when we get that glimpse, that, that we hold on to that hope, that the Holy Spirit's in us, that we, that we hold on to that. I pray, Lord, that we stop trying to earn our love from you. 
I pray, Lord, that we accept that, that you know, our life is just messed up and, and you're okay with that. You want to teach us. You want to improve the things that we do in this life. You, you want to get us as far away from sin as possible. Yet you still accept us for who we are because we've accepted you into our life. And I pray that you, you allow the Holy Spirit to become active in our lives, that we recognize it when you're prompting us. Your love and your power, uh, it's so amazing. It's so, we just can't even imagine the beyond, Lord. Yet we have that right in us, and we thank you for that, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you as you move through this life that beats us down so much. May he lift you up, and may you recognize him. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.